let's see, Jerry Cheevers was uh, the goalie, and um, they had uh, a couple of other colorful uh, hockey players, and they, they were a pretty competitive team. Made the playoffs uh, all three years that I was there, and uh, then, of course, uh, they went into the National Hockey League for a couple of years, and it didn't make it, and they had to merge with the Minnesota North Stars. But uh, for many, many years, when that was an American Hockey League town and a WHA town, uh, it, did, uh, it did very well. And uh, unfortunately, um, uh, a couple of uh, reasons led to the downfall of uh, professional hockey in that city. Uh, um, I think the, uh, the foremost reason was the arena being uh, way out where people uh, couldn't get to it. And uh, number two uh, was the fact that uh, when they entered the National Hockey League, uh, they were not a winning franchise. So uh, it just kind of fizzled out. Uh, went by the boards. But those were fun years back in the early uh, 70s with the WHA in Cleveland. That was a fun league. I remember the New York Raiders, uh, they were in that league, too. They had the Los Angeles Sharks. There's some good players that uh, switch leagues. I know Bernie Perrant, uh, for a while, uh, played in that league, didn't he? Eric Sanderson, a fellow named Wayne Gretzky. That's right, with the Indianapolis Racers, I think. I, when he was 17 years old, didn't he come up with them? That's that's correct, yeah. yeah. And uh, when, let's see, when I was doing the games, when we go up to uh, Winnipeg, uh, their, their top line was Bobby Hull, Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nielsen, and they could really uh, skate. I mean, they could fly, and that was a lot of fun. And those those were great memories, uh, the memories of the Klondike Ice Palace in Edmonton before the <laughs> Northlands Coliseum when uh, you could only see half the ice uh, broadcasting the radio. Uh, you had to lean, peer around a pole on the left side to uh, see the left side of the ice. It was an experience and another character-building process. It seems like I have those a, a lot. Um, but <laughs> you did the Mets for a while? Yeah, with the Nets right now, with Cleveland. Uh, oh, the New York, the New York Mets. Mets. Right, I was there uh, during the not-so-glory years, 79, 80, and right. 81, uh, and they really, really had problems when 6,000 people would, would come out just to boo them. And uh, <laughs> it was a very, very difficult uh, time during sport, uh, sports time in the, the city of New York. Uh, they, they just didn't know what was going on, and uh, it, it was tough. It was tough broadcasting those games. But I think if you're going to be anywhere in the business, it'd be better to be broadcasting a losing team in New York. It's just such a great city, so much going on. And covering it on Channel 9, uh, what's it like uh, having both New York baseball teams in first place as a sportscaster? Well, it's exciting uh, covering the ball clubs. Uh, interestingly enough, Doug, I was listening to uh, one of the local sports call-in shows this morning, and as you know, the Mets, after winning something like seven in a row, have just lost their last two, and... Had a, had a problem yesterday. They were shut out by uh, San Diego. Sid Fernandez pitched a good game, but uh, they they only got about three or four hits, the Mets, and uh, it was an anemic attack. But by the same token, fans are calling in. They're all over them already. They're all over David Johnson. They're all over uh, uh, the Mets uh, hitting. You know, they, they, they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the Mets, and they're still in first place uh, by three and a half, four games, whatever. And they're, uh, they've won seven of their last nine. And they're already beginning to push the panic button, so it shows you how seriously uh, they take that ball club. And, uh, Steve, we have to take a break at the bottom of the hour. If I could hold you over for one more segment, we'll get right back to you. Okay, we got to take a break for news headlines, and we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Sports Beat on the Sun Radio Network. And right now we're talking to Steve Albert, sportscaster at uh, Sports Channel, does the Nets games, and WWOR-TV Channel 9, seen on many cable stations around the country. Steve, sorry we had to interrupt you there. We had to do news at the bottom of the hour. But uh, maybe you can relay some of the memories you had of the Mets when you had to do their games a few years ago. Well, 
Any uh, positives you can recall out of that? Let me see. There really weren't uh, that many. As I said earlier, there were, uh, those were the tough years um, as far as the Mets were concerned. And uh, let me see if I can even name the ball club uh, from back then. I guess Kingman was probably the big star at that time, wasn't he? Who's that? I'm sorry? Dave Kingman. Kingman yeah, he was, uh, he was there for a while. Did you find him a, a tough interview? I know there's been stories, of course, the putting the rat in the shoebox for the, that, the woman sports writer a few years ago. Was he a tough interview? Uh, he had his uh, he had his moments. Let's put it that way. Yeah. He, was, he was hot and cold. It depends what kind of uh, mood uh, he was in. Um, but I, you know, I really never had a, a, a major problem with him. Um, it, it was just it was a strange time. I remember the the most uh, one of the most uh, memorable things was the case of Lee Mazzilli, who was a homegrown kid, uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, they put a lot of pressure on. The young man to uh, to do well quickly, and uh, he did fairly well. He got into a bad slump, and the fans were all over him. And he eventually got traded. Now he comes back a conquering hero, uh, you know, integral part uh, of the situation back in '86 as a as a pinch hitter. And he finally, as they say in the sports biz, played within himself. He he realized his limitations and was able to be a, a tremendous role player and contributor to the ball club. And they were. They were in such a tight-wound, stressful situation back in the late 70s, early 80s, that they were trying to put all the pressure on this young man. And I think that was indicative of the times, as far as the Mets were concerned. I mean, they, they thought that people like Craig Swan and Pat Zachary were going to lead them to the promised land, and it just wasn't there. You need people like Dwight Gooden and uh, Ron Darling and Sid Fernandez. Those are people that are going to lead you to the promised land. You know, taking nothing away from... The Zacharies and the Swans, they were decent pitchers, but not the type of pitchers, uh, unless you're surrounded by other people, that are going to do uh, a championship number. So um, it, it was a very, very difficult time. And the, and the thing I really remember are the empty seats at Chase Stadium. And uh, it was, the lean years uh, were tough, very tough. And it's nice to see that things have turned around. You mentioned... Uh Lee Mazzilli being a Brooklyn-born uh, product. Uh, you yourself grew up in New York. It's got to be a, a big kick for you just to be able to cover sports and teams that you grew up watching and uh, rooting for as a kid. Yeah, you know, um, it, it really is because um, I was um, a ball boy for the Knicks back in the 60s, and I, I went to Kent State University in Ohio, and uh, when they had the shootings there in 1970, May 4th, it was the year that the, the Knicks were involved in the uh, championship round with the Lakers when they won, eventually went on to win the championship. And during the shootings, uh, you know, they evacuated the campus, and I had to go home. I was a sophomore, and Danny Whalen, who was then the trainer of the Knicks, called me up and asked me if I'd like to sit on the bench um, and be an honorary ball boy, being the <laughs> oldest ball boy in the NBA at that time probably at about 19 years old. And I couldn't pass it up. So for the final game, the night that Willis Reed hobbled out onto the floor uh, and they went on to win, I happened to be on the bench. It was one of the great thrills of, of my life. And that's part of growing up in New York. And, of course, so when he ironically later became the coach of the Nets this year, we talked about that uh, uh, endlessly. We had a lot of fun with that. And, uh, you know, it, it all seems to come around together. It, uh, there are so many ironies in sports, and it's such a fraternity, and there's so much camaraderie. And uh, that's part of growing up in New York and being part of the sports scene, I guess. 
That's great. Well, Steve, thanks for joining us today, spending a few minutes with us, and uh, always enjoyed your work. I come from the Long Island area, and it's great to have you on the show today. My pleasure, Doug. Good luck to you. Thanks a lot. Steve Albert from New Jersey, and uh, one of the best in the business, play-by-play uh, -play and studio work. But right now, let's get back to one of the great defensive NHL players in the history of, of hockey, and also... Uh, Played on a Stanley Cup winning team in 1968 for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Currently hosts a hockey talk program up in New York on uh, that all-sports radio station, WFAN. Pete Stemkowski, let's get back to that interview right now. Let's talk about the Devils a little more. You're in the New York area. You've had a more chance to see that team. Did it surprise you? I mean, you've covered hockey many years. Did you uh, expect them to be that good uh, this quick? No. Uh, no, I, I, I think it's, they surprised everybody. Uh, you know, uh, you certainly realized that they couldn't go much farther down. You know, when you hit rock bottom, there's nowhere to go. Uh, and uh, the only way uh, to go is up. And I think that uh, some people were wondering, okay, we have young people. Uh, okay, we've gone through the growing pains. Uh, okay, we've suffered. Uh, and then after, you know, the success doesn't come, you have to start looking, well, okay, maybe they, they, they were young. And maybe, yes, we were going to have a lot of lack of success here, but maybe these aren't the right people. Uh, you know, just because they're young uh, doesn't mean... You know, they got a whole lot of talent that they could keep making the same mistakes and never benefit from it. But, uh, uh, you know, the fact that they, they got in and, you know, in an awfully tough Patrick division. I mean, we've got teams like Pittsburgh and, uh, and the New York Rangers that uh, were over 80 points uh, in overall uh, during the 80 games, and, and they didn't make the playoffs. So you knew it was going to be a chore. You almost conceded the Islanders, Philadelphia, and Washington to get in, but there was going to be a real battle. Uh, for those other playoff positions. So uh, for the Devils to make the great strides that they did in winning the Patrick Division and winning two rounds in the playoffs, uh, I think it's uh, it, it's tremendous. I never nearly expected that. Uh, I would have been uh, surprised, and I was surprised, that they even made the playoffs, uh, nonetheless going as far as they did uh, in postseason play. I know the coaching change came as a surprise to me, especially when they made it. I guess it was, what, early March or late February, whenever they did. Yeah. Uh, that, that is not something you usually do right then, but it seemed to work. Them. They turned it right around, and they won those key games at the end of the season, as you yeah. mentioned, to make the playoffs. Well, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's not easy to coach a coaching a group of 20 individuals. Uh, everybody's got a different personality. Uh, you know, some have to be pushed a little extra. Some have to be stroked once in a while. And... Uh, you know, Doug Carpenter, it was like a, a marriage that had gone on so long and had so many problems and had gone to so many uh, therapists, and uh, you think that, hey, it's, it's going to work out. That, you know, they just got to the point where, you know, Carpenter had tried everything. He had a basic approach to a, uh, uh, to the game. He had a personality that was, that was Doug Carpenter, and it came to the point where uh, uh, he benched certain people. He was not the kind that would say, okay, we lost, but uh, we'll regroup and we'll get them next time. Uh, if you made a mistake, uh, John McLean was a perfect example, was sitting them on the bench, wasn't playing a much, and it, it was like a breath of fresh air. In came John Schoenfeld, Jim Schoenfeld, and people were wondering, well, who is this guy? He coached very briefly in the National Hockey League, had a tremendous career as, as a player, but did not have a whole lot of experience uh, coaching uh, in the National Hockey League level, and what, what would he do? But it seems like his personality and those of the teams, and the team just needed something to pick them up at that particular time, and uh, he brought McLean along, played him a lot. Lozell started to play a little bit more, and uh, uh, you know, not only did, did, did those people come through, but I think you have to look at the point that uh, when you're going to make success, especially uh, on this level, you're going to have to have good goalkeeping. So you know, when Burke came in the, in the Olympics, uh, here's a team that was floundering and looking for the playoffs. Uh, not using their key guys, uh, Chevrier went on the bench, and, and you bring a guy in from the Olympics and say, here, you're number one, you're our goalkeeper. So 
you know, uh, not only Sean Field deserves a lot of credit, but I think you're going to have to look at that goalkeeping situation. And uh, he was just tremendous uh, down the stretch. Sean Burke certainly made a big difference in, in the performance of the Devils this year. What teams do you see on the horizon, if any, that uh, could possibly really make a good run at the Oilers next year? Well, you know, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know how many people looked at the beginning and uh, thought that Calgary would win that smite division. Uh, it was going to be their year. Uh, oh, yeah, they had a new coach in Terry Crisp. Uh, there would have to be some adjustments there. But, you know, overall, during the 80 games, they were number one as far as uh, total points are concerned. So uh, throughout uh, the second round of their playoffs when they were swept by the Oilers, uh, they had a pretty decent season. And uh, I still think they're going to be the main um, the main uh, foe for the Oilers. I think that uh, when Edmonton looks at, at getting anywhere and winning everything, and uh, much like in the Patrick division, it's the hardest chore, really, is getting out of your own particular division. And uh, Edmonton had a great year with Neuendijk. Uh, whether as a rookie come back and, and do as well in the second year, that'll be remain to be seen. But they made some, some key trades with St. Louis down the stretch. They've shored up their defense. I look at their defense, and it's, it's good. They got some, some decent defensemen with experience down there. And uh, you're wondering what's going to happen with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, you know, it's always a franchise that uh, always strives for victory. It's a tradition of that. Uh, they've got a new coach, and who they're going to put in there, I mean, as their new coach, that remains to be seen. But uh, uh, in the East here, you know, I don't know. Uh, the Rangers, was that, uh, are they going to be able to all these new faces, put it all together? How about the Islanders? Or, you know, are they going to strive and improve? Pot Van's gone. Uh, Pittsburgh has Tony Esposito running the show. So... Uh, if anything else, uh, Doug, I think it's going to be an interesting off-season with uh, namings of general managers in Minnesota and, and coaching changes and uh, and the draft, of course, coming up next year. So the National Hockey League so, certainly will not be quiet in the off-season. Definitely a league in transition. Uh, Pete, you've been to the broadcasting business for the past uh, few years. Uh, how did you go from the ice into the booth? Well, it's, uh, it was a strange situation. I, uh, I, uh, I, when, I, when I retired, I, I, I took a few courses, uh, learned, learned the basics of deliveries and, and things like that, and uh, I was very fortunate that Mark Albert, uh, sportscaster here, and you probably see him nationally on NBC, uh, uh, did a piece on me, and uh, I asked him about uh, getting on with ESPN during their games a number of years ago, and uh, uh, he put me uh, through to the right people there, and uh, things fell into place. And uh, I did their games with ESPN for a couple of years, and then uh, went to Connecticut, did a little morning disc jockey work, uh, hmm. a little sports here on Long Island, and now I'm, uh, I'm working for a, a radio station in Queens, a 24-hour radio station uh, that does the Met games, uh, WFAN. So in the 10 years I've been uh, been retired, it's, it's been the broadcasting. That's, uh, that's been the, the bread and butter for uh, for me the last several years. And uh, you just completed another successful season hosting uh, Hockey Talk on that station. And uh, future plans, uh, what would you like to get into, more TV or more play-by-play -play or what? We're looking at uh, something that's just in the growing stages, so maybe a National Hockey League radio situation that's not, uh, it's about, uh, they're thinking about it. I've been contacted by, by some people in that area and uh, uh, maybe doing a little bit something with the Rangers next year, some post or, or pre-game shows. So, uh, if it's hockey, uh, you know, I'm going to be close to it. It's, uh, it's my number one thing. It's, uh, I've been involved with it since I've been seven years old, so we're talking well over 30 years. So uh, it's, it's, it's what I like. It's what I know about uh, the most, and certainly in this area, uh, living on Long Island, uh, we've, we've, got, we've got the Islanders, we've got the Rangers, we've got the, the Flyers only 100 miles away, Hartford Whalers. So in this immediate area, there's certainly uh, the plenty, of, uh, plenty to talk about with all those teams in, in this area. That's great. Pete, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. We'll do it again soon. Doug, thank you for calling. Pete Stemkowski, great to uh, talk with him, and we'll be having him on 
again as uh, the next NHL season rolls around, as they seem to roll around quickly as uh, seasons overlap into each other. And the hockey season seems to get longer and longer, as does the basketball season. And speaking of basketball, we'll be talking NBA playoffs with Josh Coswin after we take this break. And-